0: As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the subject today is the subject of abortion, and it's a very personal subject, but it's one that God speaks profoundly about. Therefore, we, the church, must speak about it as well. And it is a subject that is a very difficult one for us to um, something to look at. It should be very difficult for us. All of us in this room should be very, very difficult for us to even even consider and engage in. But we must. Unless we look at it for what it really is, then we'll never, we'll never be able to move beyond it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, if you know me, he said, then, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so in this discussion today, the focus is going to be on what Jesus has to say and God has to say. And there's such enormous potential for us to find freedom in him and in his way. And freedom from future sin and freedom from guilt and freedom from shame. And so this is what I would ask of you. I would ask for you to give your full open mind to God this entire time. And give your full open heart to God this entire time. And when it gets painful, don't turn away. I Don't shut down because until we look at something for what it is, um, we can never move on, never move beyond. And so if you'll go there then by the end of the hour, you will have experienced such redemption in it. And so that's what I would ask of you today. There's a lie that we hear that the culture has basically bought into, and it is this. When a woman becomes pregnant, the lie is that it's a choice. The lie is it's a choice. The lie is that it is is her decision to decide whether or not to continue with the pregnancy. And there is this unspoken assumption in that lie the unspoken assumption is that there's only one life involved. There's only one life that will be impacted by this. The unspoken assumption is it's just her life. It's, it's the assumption that this is simply as though a woman discovers a, a cyst or a tumor or something like that. And all of us in those cases, all of us would, would agree that is that woman's choice. There's with a cyst or a tumor or some medical problem... It is her body, it is her life, it is her choice. But this is the profound truth. This is the very profound truth. Is that human life begins at conception. Human life begins at conception. In Psalms one thirty nine thirteen to 16, it says this. David speaking to God and he's saying, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. He didn't say you knit knit together what would become me someday. He's saying you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Again, he's clearly not saying you saw what would become me someday. What was a pre-life, what was pre-me, he's saying, you saw me, you crafted me, you knit me. That was me in the womb. And then in Jeremiah 1, 5, God would say to Jeremiah, I formed you in your mother's womb. I didn't form some pre-human life form that would become you. I formed you in your mother's womb. And then in Luke 1, 41 to 44, there's this setting that's described, and there are these two Pregnant women. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other is Elizabeth, Mary's relative. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And at this particular time, it says that, that Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months, and so John the Baptist is six months along within Elizabeth. And it says that, that Jesus is just days old in the womb. She's just been pregnant just for a few short days. Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and it says this At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child. ...leaped within her. Not a pre-child, not a pre-person. Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary... ...God has blessed you above all women... ...and your child is blessed. She didn't say your child someday will be blessed. Your child who someday comes into existence. Your child is present tense now. Just days in the womb. Your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. In Scripture, cover to cover, God is saying life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. Dr. Jaime Gordon was the founder and director of the Mayo Clinic's world-renowned program for medical genetics. You all know of the Mayo Clinic. This guy was the founder and director of this program of medical genetics. And he would say this, by all the criteria of modern molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. From the very moment of conception. Dr. Watson Bowes, University of Colorado Medical School, renowned for his pioneering of RH sensitivity and his being well published about intrauterine transfusion. He would say this, The beginning of a single human life is from a biological point of view, a simple and straightforward matter. The beginning is conception. This straightforward biological fact should not be distorted to serve sociological, political, or economic goals. Biologically, medically, life begins at conception. At conception, I don't know if you've thought this out or gone back to high school biology or college biology. At conception, in that very moment of conception, the person created has all 46 chromosomes. 23 from the mother, 23 from the father. All 46 are present. And the entire DNA of that human life is present right then. In that very first instant of conception, the entire DNA is there. And the DNA will direct that person's development their entire life run. From conception, the DNA has begun to direct the development of that person's life and will continue to direct it until they breathe their last breath and have their last heartbeat. And and there's milestones of that development. For example, after conception, about three or four weeks after conception, there's this milestone of there being a beating heart pumping blood three or four weeks after conception. Six to seven weeks after conception, The arms and legs are beginning to be formed. It's this milestone for that person's life. At 12 weeks after conception, I have a picture. In a mother's room. 12 weeks after, you can see the baby's head is kind of at the bottom there. And up on the right-hand side, you can see the legs going up. At 12 weeks, there's this milestone. Every single organ is formed and functioning at 12 weeks' time. At birth, this person, milestone, they take their first breath of oxygen from the environment at birth. Sometime in that very first year, there's this milestone where, where this person now is spoon-fed for the first time. can be good or bad. If the child flips the spoon, it goes all over the wall. It can be bad. It's this milestone. You that are parents, you know it. It's a milestone in their life. Somewhere around age one, there's a the milestone of taking the first step and saying the first word. Somewhere between five and seven, the milestone of being able to read, being able to write. Somewhere around 12 to 14, there's this milestone, maybe good or bad, of adolescence that begins. Somewhere around 16, at least in Texas at 16, there's this milestone of getting a driver's license. And then somewhere around 30, there's this huge milestone. Someone is at their absolute physical peak, which is great news for a day, and then it begins to turn the other way. And then at 40, there's this milestone of reading glasses. It's a milestone in one's life, and at 50, there's this milestone of gray hair that comes. And then somewhere around 80, there's this milestone that the driver's license you had six, six, since 16 is now taken away from you. Significant even in your life. If you live long enough, you'll return to the original milestone of being spoon-fed all over again. <laughs> but, but know this. From the moment of conception until the last breath and last pump of blood, that is a human life. All of life is present there. All of life is present there. It's profound that we know that because it changes everything because of this. In Exodus 20, 13, and you may not know the verse notation, but you would be able to quote it after I say it. And we would all agree with it. God says, thou shalt not kill. or more accurately, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take the life of someone who's innocent. And I... I venture to say with confidence, every one of us in this room deeply believe that's true. We agree with God. We should not take an innocent life. We deeply believe that. And then we we must understand this because life begins at conception. Every abortion kills a human being. We have to face the, the utter sadness and sorrow and horror of that because until we do, we can never walk beyond it and find the truth in Jesus and find deep, full, complete forgiveness and life going forward. And until we see what it really is, we'll never have the resolve to decide never again. Never again, it cannot happen. So so don't, don't put up protection for your heart and mind now. This is just the profound truth. Life begins at conception and therefore every single abortion kills a human being kills a person. That's just reality. In the United States, since 1973, the law of our land, Roe versus Wade began this, has been that it has been legally acceptable to kill a child in the womb, federally, legally acceptable, right up to the moment of birth. Federal law says that, that a mother and doctor can take the life of a child legally, under federal law, right up to the point of birth. That's been the law of this land. And so now, on every day, every given day, 2,900 lives are aborted. 2,900 babies are killed. To put it in perspective, a lot of us in this room were alive and watching on 9-11 when there were 2,700 innocent people brutally killed in the Twin Towers. And many of us that watched that we horrified by the reality of that. And we said then, we said, never again. The reality is every single day, legally acceptable, legally approved under federal law, 2,900 babies killed. Since 1973, 57 million babies killed. Can I put it in perspective? It is as though, I've got a map for you to take a look at, it is as though every single one of us In the state of Texas, the states of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, and Tennessee, all 57 million of us were killed. 20% of the population of this country, that's that's the magnitude. And if the 57 million had not been aborted, then right now, from newborns to the age of 42, there would be 57 million people living and breathing, experiencing life. 57 million. And the brutal truth is this. A mother's womb is the most dangerous place in America, by far. A mother's womb is the most dangerous place to be in America, by far. I've been struggling with how to bring this deeply to life. And um, I've, I've asked a friend if this friend would, would help me out on this. And this person's become a really good friend of Marie's in mind, a friend that we, we love deeply and a friend that we hold in just the highest of esteem. And so she's agreed to help me um, like bring some perspective on this. And so would you give Stacey Cummings a huge FCC welcome for coming up? Stacey? Stacey, I, I really don't have enough words to thank you for being part of this, to help me and to help us on this. Let's just jump right in. Give us some perspective about the topic we're covering today.
1: Um, several years ago, um, over a long of time, I've had three abortions.
0: It would help if you could, if you could help us uh, know what you were thinking and feeling back in that season of life when you had those three abortions.
1: I was very scared and, um, and worried about my life. I didn't know the what-ifs. I was pretty young. And um, the lie at the time in our society back then was, there was no internet. There was no Facebook or YouTube. So you didn't know that it's... Everybody was telling me, you know, it's just sales. It's okay. Yes. And, um, and so based on that, because I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know yes. that there was actually a child. Yes. Um, based on that information, I had the abortions. Yes.
0: Yeah. I've heard you say to me before, you used the term, you said, I decided to save my life. Because you thought yours was the only life at stake, and so you chose to save, save your life in that. And what you said is, is so true at that time, the almost universally held idea was this is not a baby. And there mm-hmm. were very few places one could, could ever turn to and find anything other than that at that time, in that season of life.
1: That is correct.
0: And so you chose to, to abort those three children. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any after effects? from the abortions?
1: I did. um, I was saddened at first. I I immediately felt a sense of loss. It wasn't the relief that I expected it to be. Um, Over time, I went in and out of depressions, um, sought help through alcohol, uh, suicidal tendencies and thoughts. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
1: Um, So after the third one, I said, Never again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not going to do this again
0: because of what you'd experienced after those. Yes. You just made the resolve: I'll never go there again. And, and a number of people here uh, know you and know you as a great friend, and so they know this. But others may not. But as it's turned out, uh, you have two beautiful grown daughters. As it's turned out,
1: I do. Um, I have two grown adult daughters, uh, Heather and Brittany. Yeah, they're with me today.
0: Yeah, and and they are. Um, They're great young women, and they're the joy of your life, I know, very, very much. You've been very, very blessed by them.
1: Yes, I am.
0: In fact, both of them live far from here, but they came to be here today. Yes, through the floods. Yeah, yeah. Through the floods, that's right. They had swims. (laughs) In 2010, there was a very significant event in your life. In
1: 2010, in March of 2010, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Mm -hmm. And I gave, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. He, uh, he is the Lord and the Savior of my life. And in May of 2010, I was baptized.
0: Yeah, and Marie and I have known you well, and it was, uh, he has changed your life. It was a major turning point of your life. It, your, your faith is the real faith. There's no doubt about that. In that small window of time between March of you beginning to trust Jesus, and your baptism the first Sunday of May, in that little window of time, there was another major event that occurred in your life.
1: In April of 2010, I found out I was pregnant.
0: Yes. So, at that point, you had just begun to trust Jesus, just Mm -hmm. begun this life of following Him. How did that news of being pregnant hit you?
1: I was devastated. I was 40 years old, a single mom. Finances were hard, very hard. Um, Heather and Brittany were in high school, and so I saw a new season for my life. I was planning for a new season for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so even though I had said before, I'm not going to do it again, I was too scared. I didn't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I could start over. Mm-hmm. So I made an appointment to have an abortion. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and i think it's important because many have felt what you felt mm-hmm. even though you had resolved never to do it again the circumstance seemed so hard so impossible that you decided anyway to go ahead uh, and have an abortion yes you then you confided in a couple of really close christian friends about this time
1: right so i had started surrounding myself with christian people in my life and I was opening up to them and telling them what I was going through, and they spoke the truth to me. Mm-hmm. They told me that this was not a cell. This was a child. It was God's child, mm-hmm. that this God had a plan for me and had a plan for the baby. Mm-hmm. And based on that, um, I decided that I was going to continue to trust God more with my life, mm-hmm. uh, with complete obedience to Him. So two days before my appointment, I canceled it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Sheer obedience, sheer faith in God, surely nothing else. So you make this big decision to continue in the pregnancy. How did that go?
1: It was a very hard pregnancy. I was, um, because I had been in and out of depressions beforehand, I was on antidepressants when I got pregnant, and so I had to get off of it, which immediately sent me into another depression. I was sick the entire time, and... Um, it was it was still some financial problems but i kept mm-hmm. going through it i did talk to god on a daily basis mm-hmm. and asked for him to help mm-hmm. me through it but there's the, there's the only way i could do it was through him mm-hmm. i couldn't do it on my own he, i needed him and he did
0: so you took a profound step of obedience to follow god's direction on this and you go through the pregnancy and it's just horrible mm-hmm. it's not easy And just by sheer faith, you just continue on. You've told me at seven months, there was this little glimmer of light that finally filtered through.
1: At seven months, I accidentally found out that it was a girl. And I literally had tears of joy and um, excitement. And for the first time, so excited to be pregnant.
0: Just that was about five years ago at this time of year, exactly. This
1: exact time, five yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, um, December seventeenth, two 2010, Anastasia was born. We call her Anna.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been so kind to bring some pictures of her
1: for us to see. Yeah. Um, actually, you've already seen one. Um, this is the picture of Anna at 12 weeks in my womb. Yeah. Um, God, thank you. Yeah. Um, I brought another one of Anna at one day old.
0: <laughs> Look at the smile. One day old, the one smile. One day old. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, the other one is Anna now at four years old. She'll be five in December. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Marie and I have watched Anna since about one, I guess, when she began to walk. We've watched her. There so many Sundays. We've seen Anna skipping down the hallways of this church on a Sunday skipping. morning. Skipping. Yeah, skipping down through life. And, and I think, and this is, we, we as the church cannot miss this, that because of a conversation and a decision, uh, we get to see Anna at four. And hopefully for 80 plus years now because of a conversation and it's this profound decision you made mm-hmm. that, uh, in fact, um, you gave up a lot, Stacy, when you made the decision not to end Anna's life. Have you had regrets?
1: No, not a single one. I've had nothing but peace and um, joy. I know I keep saying that, but a lot of joy. Um, wow. The day Anna was born, when I was in the hospital, I actually heard God speak to me and say, "I got this. She's in my hands." And um, the financial burdens—even though I'm, I'm not rich, I didn't win the lottery—the finan- the financial burdens have eased up. If I need something or if Anna needs something, God provides. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you've you've trusted God, and and God has uh, met that with with uh, faithfulness to you, and. And we've watched your faith just grow to be so deep and so strong and so profound to, to give him all everything, to trust him in everything. Yeah. You've told us that you had years of, of depression, bad bouts of depression. You told us during the pregnancy you had to get off antidepressants for that long, long season of pregnancy, and that was horrible. Uh, so now that pregnancy obviously is done, mm-hmm. so catch us up on that.
1: There is no more depression. I do not have to take anti- antidepressants. I do not seek relief or strength from alcohol. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's truly like God has hit a reset button in my life. Mm. He has, um, He's made me new. Yeah. And yeah. in the past, when I thought the abortions were going to save my life, mm-hmm. by not having an abortion and trusting God... He saved me.
0: Yeah, He saved you, and He saved Anna and as he well. Saved he Anna. did by trusting in Him profoundly. Yeah. Have you experienced forgiveness for those long ago abortions?
1: I have. I knew when I gave my life to Christ that He forgave me. Yeah. And um, but it took catalyst in October of 2012 to remind me the depth of His forgiveness. Mm. And at the same time, he reminded me that I had to forgive myself. Yes. The shame and the guilt that I had to release to him and, and, and just forgive myself. It wasn't, um, it wasn't overnight. It was a process. Yes. But I have forgiven myself. Yeah.
0: Again, we know you well, and you are living proof. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he said, when you know me, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what we know about you is that you, you, are, you are free from guilt and free from shame. And uh, you're living witness of Jesus being true to his word. Mm-hmm. Um, someday in heaven, you'll know the difference you made today, the lives you saved today. Could we thank this courageous woman? That, huh? <laughs> Stacy, thank you so, so very much. I do not know if in all of the decades of my life I have seen someone exhibit more courage than we just saw. And, and this is what God wants to do with, uh, with the God story we've just heard because this has been God's story that Stacy shared with us. There are three things God wants us to do. The first is this. He wants us, every one of us in this room, to resolve never to participate in abortion. The truth is, life begins at conception. A human life begins then. And God wants every one of us to have this deep resolve to never participate in an abortion. Uh, That's women, that's men, that's um, confiding friends, that's parents. He wants everyone in this room to, to, to come to grips with the truth and have this resolve as far as our lives are concerned then we will never participate in an abortion. We will never take another life. Secondly, God wants us to work to end legalized abortion. As the church, as Christ followers, he wants us to work to end legalized abortion. These are the lies that we hear, though. One of the lies of culture is, is that you can't legislate morality, and to that, I would say, thank God, we legislate morality all the time. In fact, that is the purpose of government, It's for government to say there are some things in a civil society that are not acceptable, that are not legal. And if you go there, then there'll be severe consequences. And so in, in this society we have, it is illegal to rob someone. It is illegal to sexually assault someone. It is illegal to kill someone. The, the lie that you can't legislate morality is absurd. That's the purpose of government. That's the purpose of government. Second lie we hear is this, is that all children deserve to be wanted, and we would all agree with that. Every single child deserves to be wanted. But friends, the reality is there are a whole bunch of two-year-olds in this world that are not wanted. We would never gather them up and kill them because they're not wanted, would we? That is not the answer. That is not the answer. Why would we do that with the child in the womb? And then there's the lie that no child should face a life that will likely be a life of poverty. We would all agree with that. No child should face a life that will likely be filled with poverty, and yet, friends, there are children and adults in this world, in our country, that are living in poverty, and we would never round them up and take their lives because they're living in poverty. Why would we do it with an unborn child? Why would we, we would we just simply can't. This is a new political cycle that's begun again, and we're not called to be political, but we're called to be God's agents, and I would, I would challenge you with this what I believe this truth is, is that while there are many important issues to be determined in our country, there's one above all that is God's main issue. One of the issues that we're confronted now is, is jobs and the economy. It's very important. We need to address it very well. Another is immigration. Very important. need to address it well. Another is gun control. Very important. need to address it well. Another is, is terrorism around the world. We need to address it well. We really need to address that one well. Do you understand in the last 15 years, terrorists have killed 3,000 Americans. It must not happen again. But God's looking at this and saying 3,000 Americans every single day. This is what God says. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse them by saying, look, we did not know. Rescue those who are unjustly being sentenced to death. Friends, we have to work to end legalized abortion. It simply cannot continue in this land. And then finally, God wants us to experience forgiveness, to experience deep, rich, complete forgiveness. What Stacy spoke of, she said when she trusted her life to Jesus, she said, I know I was forgiven then. She's right. Jesus on the cross, as only God could do, Jesus took every single sin. Virtually, he did it in a fashion where it's just one at a time. Every single sin of mine and yours. Every single one. And he paid the full price, the full price for each sin. Every single sin. And, and he died. And so if you have had an abortion or encouraged an abortion or done an abortion, if you have, or if you have cheated someone or if you have had an affair or any whatever sin it's been, Then Jesus died for that sin. And he's saying, That was enough. He said, I I died so you could be fully forgiven when you trust me, fully forgiven, completely forgiven. And he's saying, From the moment you trust him, he said, I take those sins and I throw them as far away as the east is from the west. Saying, The moment you trust me, then I will never again remember your sins, they are gone. And he wants you and yearns for you. If you're a follower of him, if you've placed your faith in him, he yearns for you to deeply experience forgiveness. Not just at a shallow intellectual level, say, I understand he's forgiven me. But as Stacy said, that experience she had in 2012, where the core of her being, like, washed in this reality of forgiveness. And then as she also spoke of, then God saying to any of us with any of our sin. He's saying, if I have forgiven you, then don't declare that you have a higher standard than what I have and refuse to forgive yourself. God's saying, my son died for complete forgiveness. Don't have a higher standard. And as Stacy said so well, usually forgiving ourselves is a process. Usually it takes some time. We're going to draw toward a close of this service with what could be a profoundly meaningful act of experiencing forgiveness. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had his followers with him. Very profoundly, he took a loaf of bread, he gave thanks to his Father, and don't miss these words. He said, This is my body, don't miss the visual, which is broken for you. He was saying, My body was broken to forgive your sin. It's not cheap forgiveness, it's not cheap grace. My body was broken for your very sin. And then he took the cup and gave thanks to his father, took this blood red cup, and he said, This is my blood which is said for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. And he was saying, don't miss this. The highest price in in the universe was already paid. You don't have to pay it anymore. If you're my follower, then, then you are forgiven. We're going to have in a few moments a chance for you to celebrate this and When you come down, I would encourage you to watch as a piece of bread is is broken and be reminded that Jesus' body was broken not just for humanity or not for this church, for you and each of your sins. And then when you take that piece of bread and dip it in this blood red cup, remember his blood was shed for you. Why? So you could have complete forgiveness of sins and know it and be free, free of all the guilt and all the shame, be finally free of all of it. And then if you've not yet forgiven yourself, then resolve to begin the journey of forgiving yourself as well. If celebrating communion here is new to you, this will be helpful to you. It usually works. It's a little easier to to do if whatever section you're in, if you'll move this direction in whatever section you're in. And then come down to the front from your section and then cut back across this way. There'll be servers all the way across the front, but cut back in this direction in front of your section. And someone will break off a piece of bread, give it to you, you'll dip it in the cup, and then go on back the other direction as well. There's some here that need gluten-free bread and cup, and at both extremes, there's gluten-free bread and cup. When you come, don't miss the deep reality beneath the symbolism that Jesus has given. It's, It's not a cheap forgiveness, not cheap grace. He paid the highest price so you could really be free. Father in heaven, I pray that in this time all of those that have given their life to Jesus will deeply experience and feel the totality, the completeness of forgiveness. And if some who have come have not begun to forgive themselves, they would realize that there's a pathway they can walk walk down where they can actually get to the point as Stacy and many, many have of completely forgiving themselves as well. And then there are some in this room, Father, that have never given their life to Jesus, never said, Jesus, I yearn for your forgiveness. I yearn for your leadership. Here is my life. I surrender my life to you. May they do it now. And may they come and have this profound symbol of the reality is that, that all sin is forgiven in your son, Jesus. I pray this with great gratitude gratitude and high expectations in Jesus' name, amen.